You have plenty of women in AI. You have plenty of women in InsureTech. You have plenty of women that want to do this. They just may be hidden. And it's, I think it's up, to the, it's up to the industry and the leaders to bring those out. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Welcome to episode 100 of Authentically Successful. I'm Carol Schultz, and joining me today is Bobby Srivastav, co-founder and chief product officer of Benakiva, a configurable SaaS technology platform that transforms the end-to-end claims and servicing experience. Bobby leads product development, customer care, and delivery of these transformational technology solutions that are helping modernize the insurance industry, something that's sorely needed, in my opinion. <laughs> her unwavering commitment to innovation, her customer-centric approach, and thoughtful development of industry-evolving solutions have earned her the reputation as an industry leader. Bobby's an award-winning serial entrepreneur, author, speaker, technology innovator, and digital transformation expert. She's passionate about helping organizations modernize legacy processes through digital disruption, reengineering, innovation, and entrepreneurship. Her expertise in information technology and experience leading successful enterprise-level initiatives spans nearly two decades. Bobby thrives on solving real problems through immaculate product development and delivering solutions for complex situations in an agile manner. She's instrumental in Benakiva's evolution to become the only technology solution on the market that delivers straight through next generation claims and policy servicing transformations with asset retention enablement. Bobby, we had a few uh, hiccups getting here, but I'm glad to have you on the show. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Carol. Welcome to the great to be here. Well, good. And my title's changed since the last time, you know, it we've has. talked. So we've uh, now. Uh, um, I changed it from CPO to COO. Just ah, because it, very it, nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, uh, that's, that is good to remember. So chief operating officer. Okay. Fantastic. So, uh, you know, we talked a little bit and, and I do want to point out that I interviewed one of your two co-founders, Brent Williams, who's the CEO. Uh, his podcast went live, uh, on March 23rd. Um, but I'd like to have you also tell me, what do you believe is the biggest problem you're solving for your clients? I believe the biggest problem we're solving for our clients is, we, we talk about it a lot, but I believe it's, the, it's putting the customer-centric approach to how we're doing and solving operations problems. We started with claims, we're moving into policyholder servicing. The whole asset retention is about ease of doing business with the claimant, mm -hmm. but also making sure that we're not breaking the legacy, right? Or we're not breaking, we're not making, we're not adding more work to the operation staff. So that's what I feel like if you can serve your customers better, mm -hmm. 
And if you can take care of your claim staff, that's where the friction happens. We're, we are solving for that. We're, we're solving for that friction and we're solving it for that customer, that claimant. Ultimately, the claimant wins, but also other stakeholders win. Got it. When you say straight through next generation claims, what do you mean by straight through? Straight through for us means how do we take a claim and apply technology, enable technology to take care of processing a claim? When, when we say straight through, it could be that we may not even need a, a person looking at it from an adjudication perspective because the claims logic and rules allow it to be straight through. So the technology is the one that's processing the claim. Straight through also means for some of our uh, higher dollar amounts or a little bit of complex claims, we're, st we're streamlining the, the administrative work so that your claim staff is focused on actually doing the review and adjudication versus doing admin level work where I'm collecting documents, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. If the system can enable that resource to us, that's straight through as well. Mm -hmm. You all founded the company in 2018 uh, and you've bootstrapped, if I recall. Tell me a little bit about, uh, first of all, how you met Brent. And I do want to mention that your third co-founder is your husband, Sovan. <laughs> so I want to hear a little bit about what it's like to be a co-founder with your husband. So absolutely. So when, before we met Brent, uh, Sovan and I had uh, another uh, company. We had a company back in 2009, 2010. It was more consulting, uh, IT consulting. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, mm -hmm. and we do the, you know, we all, all of us, both Sovan and I had full-time jobs. We've worked in corporate, right? So these were like becoming like our side initiatives because being yeah, in the yeah. technology industry, we would always get pulled into doing, helping a company, helping mm -hmm. a startup. So, so that, you know, we had a, we had a company and then we built Docs more, which is my, uh, what I call like my true tech product company uh, that we launched mm -hmm. and we started working on it in 2014, 2015, and we were in mm -hmm. beta in 2016. And we actually launched in 2015, but we were getting more and more beta customers in that platform. Mm -hmm. That's how we met Brent. And a little bit about uh, how we even entered the startup world while we were working full time is I, I always say that if you, uh, we, uh, we had a, a, a life event, so when and I, <laughs> we had a birth of a child and I think people go crazy. We went crazy. We went entered startup world and we built, <laughs> we literally built the product when Sana was mm. uh, six months old, right? So, and oh, wow. the reason was that as a new parent, we felt a lot of pain when it came to documents and documents going back and forth. I remember I oftentimes talk about the story of <laughs> having, having the issue about a disability claim and they couldn't accept anything. Like I couldn't email it to them and I had to carry Savannah, go to Kinko's and fax my, <laughs> because I knew mail was going to be super inefficient. Fax was my only option. Who owns a fax sure. chain at home? Went to Kinko's to do that. So yeah, we, and that was just one scenario of many, 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 um, mm -hmm. because I think as a new parent, you get inundated with documents and we wanted to solve for that. We wanted to really solve for and make it data driven documents. That's, that's the mm -hmm. space 
So we understand the document management, document facilitation, e-sign space, you know, when before we even we built a company around it. So when we met Brent, it was through it was through uh, we have uh, family roots in Iowa. And when we were working, when we had visited our family, business doesn't stop, right? So especially if you're a startup, like you're going to try to hustle and trying to find that meeting or two, even you're going to have this work-life integration. So I sent over 10 emails, cold emails, Carol, and two of them responded, which was a pretty decent rate, 20%. That's really good. 20%. That is like, Usually it's one one percent, so that's pretty impressive. And out of which the person that responded the call, one was a nonprofit, the other one was a mayor of Clive, which is where we were located. It's a suburb of Des Moines. And she was most interested because she wanted to see what a Drake alumni was doing and loved it, like how we had built this company. And he's like, she's like, uh-huh. you know what? I'm going to introduce you to someone who's, uh, who's got this interesting problem and it would be cool for you guys to meet. And that's how the introduction happened between uh-huh. Sovan and I with Brent. And when we met Brent, it was, I felt like instant connection. Both Sovan and I came outside the meeting to say, Man, that problem that he's trying to solve, whoever solves it, that's a good problem. And I think we fell in love with the problem. And it was how Brent was explaining it. There was a statistic he shared with us during that meeting. And we did this in Centro in in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, Initially, Mm -hmm. he thought he was selling us his services because he's a financial advisor or he was a financial advisor. And and it it ended up being uh, this idea, this concept that he was been working on for years about how do we do, how do we solve these various problems that he faced as an advisor? One of them was being claimed. So when, so when, uh, so that week, I I say this. I we went to Iowa for two weeks, and I consider that as there were so many good things that happened those two weeks. First, Savannah started walking. She was like a late walker. She started walking, and the second is we met Brent, and we met three maybe four times in those two weeks, and we we basically said like. We love what problem you're trying to solve. We think we can crack it. We can build this for you. And that was the genesis of, of us working together mm-hmm. and what, you know, back then we came up with the name Benakiba. So that's the start. And working with Sovin, like who's my, uh, who's the, another co-founder and CTO, he's, we've done, like this is, Docsmore at that time was our second initiative together. So there's sometimes you can work with couples and not kill each other. I think we've got this nice symbiotic. We like solving mm-hmm. problems. We get excited. We love technology. Mm-hmm. So I think we even we gravitated towards that in earlier phase of our life that's continued. So every time everybody says, oh, my God, I can never work with you know my spouse. I'm like, well, everybody's different. So I've been able to figure out and have this true work-life integration because I end up traveling a lot. He has to take care of Savannah. Sometimes he has to travel a lot. I take care. We've got this nice system that works and Mm -hmm. it's been, it's been fruitful for us. That's great. Uh, Where have you found that you and he have had challenges? 
Oh my goodness. Oh, we, we get, uh, so in Ben and Kiva, we will always say we stay in our lanes. So Brent has a lane, okay. I have a lane, Sovin has a lane. I come from yeah. tech, Sovin comes from tech. And we sometimes, we, we but like we have opinions, different opinions. And, no, and, but, you know, I think in the beginning, we had a, mm-hmm. when, you know, when you're a small company, you're implementing our, with our first customer and we're on the tech implementation side. Mm-hmm. So, yes, there was a lot of overlap. And, but I think over time, we've really truly figured out our lanes and now we're truly respective of our lanes. Cause mm-hmm. it's so hard when you have that overlap where you can just, creep up on their space. And I think, you know, I think as, as we've gotten mature in our company, we know Sovin's lane, we know my lane and we know Brent's lane. We don't, we try not to overlap much. Right. And are you, are you the only one, Bobby, of the three of you who had any insurance sector industry prior to this? No, Brent, Brent was, uh, was an advisor, came from, uh, what was it like close to 20 years of experience, right? Built his business around 300 assets under management. So he came from the industry, saw the customer experience pain points, right? And he was able to articulate, articulate that very cleanly where we got it, right? Like, yep, we got it. We, we let's build this, Mm -hmm. right? From my background perspective, I came from, the benefit side, that was my early, early right. career. I worked for financial, I worked in operations in financial services arena uh, for like Pepsi, right? So our team was the AR function and we had a payroll function. So, uh, th- and then I worked uh, at, uh, you know, a division of AIG, but it was mortgage insurance. So it wasn't like the insurance that we're solving for. But I understood a couple of things I understood working at very large organizations is everybody has the same legacy dilemma. And everybody, even though in everybody, every industry will say, well, my, my characteristics are unique. My regulations unique. My, this is unique. At the end of the day, if you're, if you're, if you're all in legacy tech, it is going to be difficult. Right. So that's the modernization that, that I was very grateful earlier in my career that I got to see, got to lead and got to manage. Right. So mm-hmm. that has that experience I've taken to Ben and Kiva. So I've led the large enterprise level initiatives. I've led the, I've got to integrate and convert 20 plus systems into one. I, I've lived through that. I've seen that. And it, and, and that's why it's so relatable. Um, industry in life insurance, especially annuity insurance, it is very complex business, right? But I think if you have an aptitude of learning, you can learn the industry. But as long as you know what the challenges are, the challenges, Carol, are pretty pretty similar. And I think insurance has a little bit more because it has that, like the fintech side of the wave then comes into insurance side. And in the insurance yeah. side, you've got the PNC side and then the life side. So that's what's so exciting is we're we're innovating on the side that a lot of entrants haven't even come right so we are the claim solution in the marketplace i would i would say i've not seen a solution do what we're everybody would say that but i can say it with by looking and talking to different customers some of the systems that they're even evaluating have been built back in 2000 timeframe. So they've carried a lot of technical debt over time, 
For us, because we're new and now we're leveraging all new modern infrastructure and because we're small and nimble, we can tackle that technical debt very easily. There's always technical debt, but I don't have this much of technical debt. I have this much. So guess what that allows me to do? That allows me to, when a customer says, I want this feature A, B, and C, this person will say, this person will say, you know what? It will take me like six months. Let me do it in service pack one, service pack two. We're saying monthly release, boom, here you go. Show it to you. And it's not that, not that we are rogue. We still have processes. We have SOC one, SOC two. It's just the amount of technical debt is lower. So we don't have those constraints that the other folks do. That's great. So um, who are you selling to? Is it the carriers, brokers? It's the carriers, right? Agents. It's the insurance carriers, but with the viewpoint, Carol, that we want to make sure like the stakeholder engagement and communication is accounting for the agent. It's accounting for the provider for long-term care for disability scenario. So, but the Mm -hmm. carrier is the buyer for us, the insurance carrier. Um, But Mm -hmm. what we want to do from a use case, what we're doing with the use case scenario is solving for multiple stakeholders because if I can make an agent happy and they see the longevity of why they can submit a claim through Benikiva and it nicely flows into their infrastructure, they can sell more products, then they become happy. So that's why we've solved for a lot of these different stakeholders. But the carrier is the one that's paying the bill. And who in the carrier are you calling into? So our target market depends, right? Carol, like uh, if we're working with a small company, we're, we we may be talking to the CEO, right? We're going to be talking to their mm-hmm. operations department and because that's typically where the claims function live, we're talking to the claim staff. When we go, as, as the organizations get larger and larger, some of these executives can be really removed from the claims issue, right? Because my operations handles it or my head of claims will handle it. So we approach our uh, our messaging or who we who we contact who we mm-hmm. who we sell to different at different part as the as from a size perspective. So it could be the CEO, it. it could be the head of claims. Got it. Okay. Um, and how are you all marketing? Are you are you doing a combination of inbound and outbound? You know, more of one than the other. And what does that look like? Where are you finding your customers? Yeah, we're, we have been so blessed because, you know, initially it was just Brent and I. And so when we were doing everything, mainly Brent, because sales and marketing fell into his, his, that's his area. But, you know, as we've grown across the, across the years, we've been fortunate about having very good people. We've got we've got a team that's doing nothing but lead gen and they're sending out, I think something like 2000, 3000 emails a day. So we built that machine up to uh, where we've got this, we've, we've hired good talent where they can handle the lead gen. We've got the sales team that does a lot of this uh, phone calls, right? They can, they can make calls, they'll follow up. And then our marketing team has grown immensely and it has gone from very, you know, from like making sure our website is connected to all the way to evaluating ads. Um, I would say are still our big focus 
is events. Events is where people get to know us. They get to they get to see us in person and get to see our personalities and the passion that we have about selling uh, Benikiva. Why we're here, right? Our mission. So events are always a big piece, but we are we have a combination of all all of it right now. Got it. Got it. That's great. Um, I want to talk a little bit about you being a, a female founder. Um, you know, I, I don't feel we have enough of them. There aren't enough of us. And, you know, I'm always, not that I don't love all the men, but, uh, I want to see more women be in these roles and succeed. And there are a multitude of reasons for that. And, and one is more and more research, of course, is starting to show that women in executive leadership positions contribute directly to the bottom line of the company. It's very, very interesting. And, you know, certainly to also note that you're a founder within, you know, the insure tech sector, right? We, we, we know that insurance in general, you know, a several hundred year old industry is pretty much run by a bunch of old white men, right? And um, I, I, I just want to talk a little bit about, you know, you as a woman in the insurance insure tech sector, as a founder, you know, what you have felt your challenges to be at, at, you know, breaking that glass ceiling. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, um, unfortunately it's an always an ongoing challenge, but initially Carol, um, even though I was, I'm on the founding team of Benikiva, people would not, uh, would not, would not answer to my email unless Brent was there. Ugh. Right. So we had to put a lot of focus. Like I had to put a lot of focus on making sure that, that we're not, I, as a founder, I'm not hiding behind a male. Right. When I see Ben Akiva, yes, it was Brent, Brent put in so much effort in the, and it's because of him we're here. But when we're looking at from a, like how we are, the three of us, the three of us are the founding team, right? So right. there is no hiding behind each other, right? Like we have to carry our own weight because we're, you know, the execution side is my side of the house. It's not Brent's side of the house, not Suman's side of the house, right? So when, you know, when I saw that initially, I would initially see, you know, going to Brent for, for things and Brent would nicely push back. And, and it was actually talking openly to the founding team to say, Hey, when they email you, you're going to email them to say, talk to Bobby. We had to build some of that, that piece. So it becomes a norm. It becomes like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to contact somebody that I feel comfortable that I know that knows this. I'm going to contact somebody you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it just took, it took, it took a lot of effort. And honestly, Carol, it took a lot of me, uh, sharing my viewpoints in the industry, becoming friends with a lot of the influencers. And honestly, Brent's the CEO, right? He could, he could have easily said when I remember the NAIC presentation and it was me and him, we were there and he could have easily said, you know what, Bobby, uh, like this is, I'm the CEO, I'm going to present, I'm going to do the seven minute presentation. And he always encouraged collaboration. He's like, Hey, Bobby, why don't we do this together? So guess what people started to see? People started to see Brent and Bobby, Brent and Bobby. And, 
And if you see us together, you will see why people like us together because we're feet off of each other, right? He's my brother, right? But I think that also, even though it wasn't intentional that we were doing that, like it wasn't like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this um, because I've got to do this X, Y, and Z. It was a natural, it, it became as nat. it was natural. So, but I think it was like na- that natural, like, Hey, let's, let's do this together. It's going to be fun together. Mm-hmm. It's going to be this, this activity we're going to, and I think that's what changed it. And, and if Brent was selfish, he would have been like, I'm taking the limelight. It's my, I'm the CEO. I came up with, this is my company. He didn't do that. Right. And I think that's where, when we talk about true allyship, Carol, in our industry, it's actually emulating what, uh, what Brent is doing. Right. Like Brent invited, invited, right. He could have been like Mm -hmm. a hog, but he did not do that. You know, and that's really, I I love that you're pointing that out, Bobby. And I I do also want to say that you know, that, that shows that your talent centric approach <laughs> starts at the top, right? Because if he had hogged all that spotlight, I would think he's not very talent centric because it really takes a village mm-hmm. to run a company. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Everybody, you know, people may have different titles. They may have different responsibilities. Some responsibilities may be, may appear to be more important than others, but without everybody really doing their jobs, the whole you know, the, the whole wheel cannot roll. <laughs> and that's what's important. And I think like now it's becoming like, you know, we go to events, we want to see, we mm-hmm. as people want to see diversity, right? And I think yes. sometimes that, that could go, that could hurt too, right? So, so like, you know. What do you mean? This is my, my viewpoint, right? My viewpoint is, that don't invite me on stage because I'm a female, right? Invite me on stage because I have something valuable to add to the conversation. And I think representation is so important, Carol. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where, you know, when I see sometimes like that token female, right? And they are not contributing to the conversation. It makes our Mm -hmm. whole agenda void. You have plenty of women in AI. You have plenty of women in InsurTech. You have plenty of women that want to do this. They just may be hidden. And it's, I think it's up to the, it's up to the industry and the leaders to bring those out. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes, you know, I feel like, you know, sometimes they would be like, okay, Bobby, it's between you and Brent and I want you. But we, we have to evaluate that that's not really good, right? Because Brent's perspective is totally different. He came at it from right. a different angle and I come at it from a different angle and it's just having that balance, right? It can't, it just, it's just, we have a little bit more work to do in terms of, in terms of that. You're right. And, and, you know, I think this is where, where, you know, DEI is really important. Um. But to do it to just check a box yeah. really invalidates the entire the yes. entire thing. I had a um, uh, a young woman that I was working with, um, African American gal. She's, like, she's now a second line manager. And when I did my discovery call with her, and I said, you know, where where you know, if you look toward the end of your career, what is it you want to do? And she said. I want to be a CEO of Fortune 500 and I don't want to be a diversity hire. 
Yeah. We don't want that. That's exactly what she said to me. And I thought, bravo. Yeah. Because, because, you know, the minute you, you are appointed by, because you're, there's somebody's checking a box. It really minimizes your value. Yeah. How can you look at it any other way? Yeah. And you're spot on, right? Spot, spot on. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where, if we're truly focused on, on, so my, my, always my philosophy is like, uh, especially in these events are big, big portion of insurance, mm-hmm. insurance hack and how we, how we meet mm-hmm. uh, customers. Right. So it's, it becomes this important, like, do we pay to play or do we do this? But then it's also like, I feel like a responsibility from an industry perspective is to represent your workforce. What is your workforce right now? right? Because we're selling technology to that workforce. We're not selling it to the CEO, right? The CEO doesn't truly benefit from, well, they do, but I'm just saying like, who are we selling this to, right? Like who is the people that are going to be consuming this? And if we're not talking to their voices and they're not being invited to hear this voices, that's where the, that's where the equilibrium falls out. Because when you ask the question, like, how does it feel like to be a female founder? Oftentimes it's just Brent and I, and I as the only female founder, even now it's getting a little bit better, but back in 2018, it was like two females pitching out, out of a, a group of, 10 to 15 companies, right? The bathroom mm-hmm. line is always smaller, which I love, but that's not, you know, <laughs> and when you look at ITC type of events, yeah. you will still mm-hmm. see a very big percentage male and a very small yes. percentage female. And if you look at the insurance industry, 60% of your workforce is female. I should see, right. I should see, I should see those bathroom lines. Like we need to have more bathrooms. That's than right. You're, you're right. right. Yeah. I mean, and it's a really interesting observation. And, and, you know, I've always said that companies, instead of thinking it is, you know, diversity, think of that your company should look like our planet. Yeah. Right. And, and if you, you know, our planet is now over 50% women and that's what your company should look like. And if our planet is, you know, X amount, I don't know what the percentages of, you know, black or Asian or whatever that is, your company should look like that. Now that's in a perfect world, right? Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm consulting with a, with an early stage founder right now. And he said, you know, Carol, we've got to find women. And I said, well, you don't have to tell me that. Okay. Um, but the reality is this is a renewables industry and it's primarily men. Um, and I am scrambling looking for some women to be on an advisory board. You know, we both are. And, you know, there is, you know, sometimes you just have to say it is what it is, you know, or you have to look and take somebody who maybe isn't quite ready for this role yet and say, what kind of training development can we give this individual to get them? And that's, you know, really a whole separate conversation, but to get them where they need to be, right? So that we do have women in these roles um, who are, who are expressing themselves and, representing, you know, representing uh, us as a gender. And, you know, when you look at ITC, I don't want to get too far off track. I mean, it's a pay to play conference, (laughs) Yeah. right? So, you know, who's paying to be there? The big carriers and who, who, who's running the big carriers? Yeah. Right. This is why we're still seeing primarily men. Yeah. You know, um, but, but, you know, you just have to, in my opinion, 
chip away at it a little bit, a little bit, a little bit at a time. I think it's going to take us a few success stories of, of showcasing mm-hmm. and actually arriving. And then, right. and then I think it'll be, it's all, it's the same conversation in the investment side. Well, females don't get funded. Well, let's get more exits, right? And we are in the yes. position of, of funding and that's going to change the, it's just, it's going to take time, right? So it's the whole yeah. mental, it's the whole model that I go by is no excuses. I have no excuse. I, if I if I hustled my way through, I can solve any problem. I can learn a new industry. And to me, it's like, you know, it's, I see it as a big challenge. And, and the only thing I would tell the females that are listening here is don't give up because there's plenty of us out there yeah. that are motivating and inspiring and, and, and want us to mm-hmm. get there. And just, we just flock together and, and we'll figure it out. So. I agree. I agree. So what would you say some of the biggest challenges um, are that Benakiva is facing um, just within the industry itself? And, and are your competitors seeing the same challenges in the industry? I think uh, for us, what we're seeing from a challenge point of view is, is how do we, how do we um, work? I mean, of course, the big challenge is going to be like legacy tech, right? And different, being very creative with those options of how can we allow a carrier to, to decouple their architecture or do it in a way that doesn't disrupt the, the monolith allows them to come through it, but allows Mm -hmm. them to serve the customer, right? Mm -hmm. So we're always faced with really cool challenges around, I have 30 legacy systems, my customer's not happy, how do we solve for that? And how do we still stay compliant? How do we still uh, maintain our risk? And, and not disrupt that, right? So, so those are some unique architectural challenges that we face, uh, that we faced. And, you know, that's why we've built a lot of our own proprietary, like gateway architecture, our own configurator to really combat at those. Once again, that no excuses model, right? Even applies to our company. It's like, let's not create the legacy as an issue. Let's combat it with how do we create, how do we make an opportunity? How do we let the carriers say, that's not an excuse. We got it. Here's a, here's a, here's an approach. The other big challenge that I'm recently facing is you know, we, we are very big fans of agile delivery and how do we chunk it up, crawl, walk, run. And I think sometimes that's so difficult for folks to find. And I, especially with large customers, because they feel like if they have a budget, they, they've got to do it all. And, and what we're trying to coach them through is yes, you can achieve your end state, but if you do it in an agile way, you're going to get a superior product and mm-hmm. you're going to get value day one or quicker than if you wait until the end state. So it's I've been having like at least four conversations where it's really talking it through, getting them comfortable of don't look at it from a big bang perspective. Let's chunk it, right. chunk it, chunk this at a time and you will find true value. So it's, it, it, I think what I, if it, and please correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like what I'm hearing is that you're taking a really proactive oh, yeah. rather than reactive approach, yeah. right? Which is what so many people do. And I think Carol, like as we're looking at challenges about, you know, looking at um, 
even uh, different technologies that are coming into our in our uh, in our landscape to different and i know right now it's like a huge red flag for any of the carriers mm-hmm. to even talk about crypto but we've taken right. a pretty pretty open stance to that to say from an architecture perspective if you want it if we have a, a partner we can give your claimants their proceeds i mean we have to think that way we have to start thinking from a future perspective and the future perspective doesn't have to be this this really obscure use case that we know that's never going to happen right we still have regulation we still this is why i tell people i'm like you know the when they talk about future of claims as being you know like in the next couple of years we won't need signatures mm-hmm. and this and that and i'm like that's amazing we'll be like the first one that you can adopt this to but if you look at reality we've got to start to paint the picture of what's near term with carriers you right. can still dream in this state right but who's tackling you can dream but who's tackling the regulation who's tackling these 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 uh, accord forms right who's tackling this we've got to start tackling this to achieve that dream state because everybody's going to say an opinion of how they want the future of claims to look like what are you going to actually do to execute on the regulation side are you talking are you lobbying for that if you're not doing that that's just all like nonsense now i want to solve the real pain point of you're in 30 different systems how do we achieve your ideal state and then be ready to face the the other state right so right right that's terrific so so i, I want to step back to docs more just for just for just a minute um that company is still running so what kind of attention are you and Sovin paying to it when you've got another very busy startup you're running? Oh, Carol. So I, when I said we went crazy, and I think more than Sovin, I think really I went it. crazy. So I built, yeah. we did um, Docsmore. My uh, really close friend had a rental use case. And we were like, let's, you know, I've been a landlord and I've had the, the, um, what is it? The squatters issue. And I did not have the paperwork Uh, and I did not have a tool to manage through that side of the house. So I've lived through a lot of those issues and I'm like, oh, I'm going to solve it in the tech. So I was actually the CTO for that, for that startup, which is no longer existing. Um, but with Dotsmore, what we've done is we, we can't, put attention. We, we can't actively sell it. So it's online. If somebody wants to use it, they can use it. We don't, we yeah, actually like just it. allow our part, like our nonprofits. I'm like, get, just use it, use the solution. Mm-hmm. Just, just mm-hmm. don't even pay me. It's my pro bono. Uh, I know you're Good in point. a lot of pain. Yeah. Just, just do that. I think, and I think we may come back to it and uh, after Ben and Kiva, but for now, as a founder, you cannot serve two masters. And well, that's why I asked the question. Yeah, right. <laughs> that was my company. I was you really the CEO can't. You cannot. You cannot be distracted. No, you cannot you know, be distracted. You, you must focus. With Benny Kiva, we've got a good thing. We've got good traction, mm-hmm. good market. We're a good mm-hmm. team. We're a growing team. We're close to 90, approaching 100 pretty soon. And, you know, mm-hmm. this is a, uh, when we jumped, when we met Brent back in 2016, it is a, it, it, we instantly, you know, in your gut when, wow, this is an amazing problem. We're going to help solve it. Right that's that feeling you get very rarely 
And we got that when initially we were trying to solve for Doxmore, but how we were able to truly like have a specific pain point. So we're pretty happy. And yes, you cannot serve two masters. It's online. Sorry. I mean, like it's a stable product. So that's why we don't get a, but we won't, we won't entertain anything new with that. Got it. Um, so, so you, as you, as you mentioned, when I introduced you as the chief product officer, you, you've moved it uh, now, uh, you are the COO of the company. Kind of looking, looking back at the, the time since you all have founded the company, what are some of your mistakes that you have made as a leader? And what have you done to get past those, get through those and, and make some changes? I think uh, I would say, when you're starting your company, you're always thinking about it in this this way when the opportunity is this, right? And I think it's 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 a truly earlier on we should we need to elevate, right? So mm-hmm. elevate how we represent in the industry, how we elevate in our organization. Mm-hmm. It's all about elevation. Personally mm-hmm. for me is the minute when I find that anyone is dependent on me for their activity to perform, I'm not, I'm, I'm a founder, right? I'm a COO. It's they, it, I should be at the strategy level and I should be guiding and helping the team. The team should be at a point where they're, they're doing the work to carry our vision and mission forward, right? And I think that's earlier on it it's that it's it's carol it's that that i want to make sure everything is perfect and and i think i had to let go a lot of that to say okay it doesn't matter it's, we're going to fail and that's fine but i'm going to let them learn through this experience i'm not going to mm-hmm. be like this savior to say okay let me let me fix this cuz i could see it that you're going to yeah. fail right and in some scenarios we failed in most scenarios we did not fail so it's it's just that building that trust uh trust becomes trust is probably the biggest learning i've had is is really really letting go and really allowing trusting the process trusting the team we've hired really amazing people um but it is your baby right it's your baby and i think that's the piece that i if i those are the things that i notice from five years ago, or it's like, if I would have done those things, it would have been different, right? It would have been better, but right. scars that you, you know, it's, it's okay. So you learn from you it. Know, I have to say that. Yeah. That's, that's really a common thought among a lot of the founders that I interview is the, the really having the wherewithal to let people fail. Yeah. Right. Because I too am a perfectionist and I really want to see things work all the time. But, you know, it's kind of like raising children, right? They have to make mistakes. Me, I raise horses. So, you know, you have to, you have to let them make the mistake for them to learn. And I think another big one, and this is where every startup has their path, right? Like has resources, limited resources at the initial phase. We needed to make sure that it wasn't about, because we all came from leadership, like, hey, let me grow this person. Let me groom this person. I think at the initial, we're so 
over doing so much that you don't have time to groom, right? Grooming can come later. It's just getting the right person in the role, even if it even if it cost us more money, because that could have saved a lot of headaches. And I think that's the piece that that you know being strategic with hires, and then also not making the mistake on the flip side to say, oh, I faced this issue. Now let me hire anybody from that comes with industry because there's got to be a balance of fresh ideas and legacy thinking and we cannot be right, in right. legacy thinking and we cannot have two to two fresh young folks right like young minds into this we have to find that balance and now we're at a point where we are having an internship program we had an internship program before right. but now more on the dev side on the product side right. because we've matured into that where we can actually groom people but before we should have just hired people <laughs> it would have been a lot less stressful so well, well right. right and i mean you know you're preaching to the choir here this is what i say to companies all the time is you know better do it right the first time because it's going to cost you a whole lot more yeah. in, the, in the long run yeah you know that's the sort of reactive you know taking a proactive proactive approach versus taking a reactive approach so so you i mean really what you're talking a little bit about right now is your talent strategy right so if you kind of had to talk say a little bit about what your talent strategy is is what would that be yeah Right now, I, uh, from a talent perspective, we are, uh, we, I've made a, a few hires that have been pretty strategic, have come from the mm -hmm. industry, but this time I took the lens of, I want people from the industry, but I want those people that were wanting to innovate and wanting to do yeah. new things and wanting to do transformation projects. So I've been pretty blessed with, you know, hiring really good talent, really good caliber talent. Mm. And I have utmost faith that they're going to they're going to do very good in Benikiva. We're a fast paced organization and we have we've given them warnings when they got hired because we're a transparent company. It's not we we say that not a perfect company. You'll you'll mm -hmm. be overwhelmed really important. and and you're going to be doing a lot of work that you've never done, but that's part of it. So I would say our talent strategy now is really looking for that, uh, that mixture of on my side, on the product side, on the, on the delivery side of the house with experience mm -hmm. that from industry that are innovative. I would say on the dev side, you know, when I think when I look through our partners and, and their strategy is really more stabilization and moving into now, mm -hmm. how do we get more resources to do config? And config for us is a very trainable skill set. So you come with prerequisites, but I can train you on Benakiva. I can train you on config. So that becomes very flexible in terms of the type of resources we need, because then we can really expand to different geographies, different locations. Mm -hmm. Um, and then Brent is working through his sales, his talent strategy more on the sales and marketing side. But sure. that's what it looks like. It's 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 for my side at least is heavy focus on transformative in the industry. To hey, I can bring, I can create a program and train them through this through this uh, config piece and have a team. I have a solid bench of config configuration team. Good. How do you spend your time when you're not working? I work all the time. 
It's the fun I was afraid that, you were going to say uh, that. No, Come on. No, but but I do like to spend uh, time with my daughter. So my daughter, every weekend we try to do an activity, fun stuff, even during weekdays. Like I'll take her and we, we you know, she has a lot of activities. It's like her mom. She likes to be busy. Her mom makes her be busy. But, you know, we do fun stuff like uh so I like to read. I'm a reader. I'm an avid reader. We've uh, I've introduced Savannah, as she's seven, to uh, a lot of like the ancient histories. Like she's excited because she's reading the oldest book in the world, which is the Epic of Gilgamesh. So she's oh like goodness. excited, and I'm like, you don't understand it. It's okay, just read because this is going to be so good for you, your brain. You're going to absorb it. You're going to be so much more smarter. So those are things that I do. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, if somebody listening uh, to this says, boy, this is, this is the kind of founder I'd love to work for, what should they do? They should contact me on LinkedIn right away. <laughs> if, if not, if it's not a fit here, we've got a good network, right? So yes, of people, we, the key is we want to be supportive, uh, especially to, you know, I would say people that are listening that may are thinking about an idea that may not think that they could do it. You know, lots of examples that we can point, right? There is no, no excuses, right? So you, you've you got this. So we've uh, mm-hmm. g- good resources. I know Carol, Carol is a great resource and the podcast is amazing, right? You've interviewed, uh, you've Brent's, uh, Brent's, you've listened to Brent speak, other folks speak in the industry. So that's your, mm-hmm. becomes like your people that you can even connect with yeah. to reach out and get advice. Awesome. Uh, finally, is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to talk about before we sign off? I think we're good. We're approaching time too, so... Okay. Well, Bobby Srivastav, co-founder and chief operating officer of Benakiva. This has been fun. I've really been looking forward to this interview. I just thoroughly enjoy spending time with you and talking with you. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.